Hi everyone, this is your podcast host, Ryan Willoughby, and welcome to A Hand Up. Today's interview is with Ms. Amy Parham, the Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity of Texas. Amy is an accomplished leader in the Habitat for Humanity ministry and has the pleasure of working with a broad spectrum of Habitat folks across her state. Amy was kind enough to sit down with us and share some of her experiences and what she has done to continue to stay successful. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us today. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm really happy to be here and listening to you and learning a little bit more about what you're doing in Georgia. You're a great leader there and have made a big impact across the country already. So thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted that you're here. I've really been looking forward to this since you said that you'd be willing to to have this talk with me. Um, you know, Amy, I, I imagine some of the folks in Georgia may know who you are. Um, but you're, you're my counterpart in the great state of Texas, but could you maybe just introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit and learn a little bit about who, uh, Amy Parham is? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, I live near the Austin area. Um, been at Habitat for almost nine years, working with the 68 currently affiliates that we have across the state. Um, I'm really pleased with the work that we do here. I think, especially with the state office, we've um, sort of revolutionized some of the work around training and mortgage servicing um, and, and, and done a lot of work um, in the legislature, of course. So my background, I have, uh, before I got to Habitat, I would work at, actually, I do political campaign management for during election years, and then I would work at an architectural um, firm doing project management at the architectural firm. And he would, my boss would let me go uh, every other year. I'd get to run campaigns, which is kind of my first love. So when I got the job at Habitat, I was just so excited to have something that, that combined the, the ministry with land code and land development and uh, advocacy and legislative issues and grassroots development. So it was just really, really fun to have all those things combined into what I think is is my perfect job. And I'm I'm just really lucky to be here. That's awesome. So I, I totally did not know that thing about you working at an architecture firm. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got a degree in, um, I, I have probably too many degrees, but one of them is in <laughs> design. And um, so I, I, the architectural firm where I did uh, programming and project management, I concentrated on property poor school districts in Texas. And then I have uh, the great, the greatest university in the world, the University of Texas. I have a government degree from from the University of Texas, and I have a um, master's of public affairs from the LBJ School of Public Affairs at, at the University of Texas. Wow. Well, that's, that's that's another commonality that you and I have. I actually worked for an architecture firm for a number of years before coming that. to Habitat. I, yeah, I, I did. Now I, I wasn't in the project management side; I was a draftsman, so I was taking orders from the project managers but oh, i love drafting though it just clears your mind doesn't it it, it does you kind of get into a zone and all of a sudden six hours have gone by so yes i love that miss that yeah it's i'll tell you i still do some kind of recreationally just because it is kind of fun just to sit down and have that kind of precision drawing it's almost meditative yeah. certain stick. it so, really is yeah so, Amy, I mean, you, you said that you've been there at the Habitat affiliate, or excuse me, the Habitat ASO 
I guess when we used to be SSOs, um, uh-huh. which do you still get people asking what we are for an ASO or an SSO? Do people ask you that? Not really, because I work really hard not to ever, ever have the term ASO or SSO come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, when I got to Habitat, it was such, it was just such jargon that it was confusing for people. So I just try to make it a habit not to call ourselves an ASO or an SSO. It, it, it doesn't even roll off the tongue to me because I'm so unused to saying it. Um, and I think that that part of that is just to make people feel more welcoming into into our ministry without a lot of secret handshakes and codes. Mm. It, so, all right. So you've opened up a can of worms for me that I'd love to dive into. Because um, <laughs> you, you said earlier that you, ha- you guys have 68 affiliates right now in mm-hmm. Texas. Right. So, so, you know, when I started off, we had 67 here in Georgia. We're down to now to almost 50. Yeah. Um, we've had a number of affiliates close. Have you guys experienced that as well? Yeah, absolutely. And um, when I started, we had 85. Wow. And it it actually hurts my heart because I, I know that there's some there's some justification for closing or merging affiliates, but mm-hmm. but we don't see more homes being built when yeah. affiliates merge or when they close. Uh, we just see a decline in the number of of Texans served. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that does. I, I feel personally, uh, and frankly, I feel like that's a personal failing when an when an affiliate closes. I also know that if if we had had the resources, if I had the staff that I have today, if I had that when I started eight or nine years ago, we would not have lost that many affiliates. And and I certainly know that they would have been uh, stronger today if if we'd been able to provide more resources. But but frankly, as as you well know, it's very very challenging to fund and run a state office. And I do see that um, one of the, oh, I guess, I don't even know how to say it. One of the, one of the challenges or, or one of the sad parts is that if we can't find a way to fund ourselves, that, that just fewer and fewer people get served. And that makes me quite regretful. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I very much feel similarly. I, I absolutely it breaks my heart when we have affiliates closed down. And I will say that we, we've had a, a kind of a different experience in Georgia, which as we've decreased in affiliates, we've actually increased um, and really exponentially in the number of families served, um, yeah. it, which has been kind of interesting, a uh, little phenomenon. But I think like you, you know, if I had the staff that I have now, because of course you've talked to Donna on my team, she's great. And I just love uh-huh. working with her. I feel like there's, you know, some affiliates we could have helped turn around um, and, you know, ideally be serving some communities because now we don't have the size that you guys do, of course, but, you know, there's large portions of Georgia where we're not able to serve families and it's, it's not because there aren't needy families, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's something that I kind of struggle with, especially is like, how do we, how do we serve those areas? You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't uh, absolutely. Yeah. Probably like, like you, um, when there's not an affiliate in that area, you get the phone call or I get the phone call, and um, there's not a there's not a strong safety support network in Texas. Um, and and sometimes, for example, um, the last affiliate that closed, you know, the the nearest affiliate was a good 45 minutes away, you know, driving at highway speeds. So, and and that was a fairly close affiliate. So sometimes, if an affiliate closes 
there's merger is not an option when you're talking about a one-way drive time of 60 to 90 minutes. It just kind of doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I do. I agree that I agree exactly with with what you're saying. Well, talking about that distance, that's um, you know something we've experienced as well as you know you'll have an affiliate that's in a very remote area relative to other affiliates, and I, I think to a certain extent that may even contribute a bit to their um, ultimate closure is because sometimes they're so isolated from others. You know, they they're not able to build up relationships with other affiliates and learn and ask questions and that sort of thing. And, um, and you know, I, I do have to, I want to change gears just a minute because we are talking about the size of Texas. I mean, you're in a position, you're in Austin. Uh -huh. So geographically, you're in the far kind of east of Texas, right? No, I'd say we're, we're in central Texas. Oh, Austin's more, okay. Well, yeah. sh shows how well I did in geography. <laughs> um, so you're more centrally located, but for you, to visit your furthest away affiliate, uh -huh. how long would that take you to get there by car? About 10 or 11 hours. 10 or 11 hours. Yeah. So, so this is, I have to pick your brain on this. So that's, uh -huh. I mean, that's a tremendous distance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the furthest away affiliate for me, I can still get to them in four hours. Yeah. So, you know, hypothetically speaking, I could drive across the state of Georgia twice in the time that it would take you to to just get to one location. So how how has that been for you as far as building up relationships with your affiliates? Like, do you, I, I mean, I just imagine that being at that distance, you know, it might be hard to maintain. Yeah. A how do you do that? Well, I mean, luckily we have phones, but, um, <laughs> right. but we have phones in Texas. That's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, El Paso is closer to the Pacific Ocean than it is to the other side of Texas. Wow. And, and I, I think, so when I started, um, you know, frankly, I think Habitat Texas was, could be considered a failing organization when I started and some good people on the board, but, um, but leadership was was different then and I didn't have a budget I mean it was just slim pickings for budget but I did have a little uh, green car that had good gas mileage and that's what I did was I uh, go from uh, to, to affiliates and we we sort of divided uh, the state up into about five parts and had regional leadership council meetings for lunches um, trying to do that about once every quarter so that most of the most of the communities, you know, uh, in in kind of northeast Texas, that was the center of one of our regions, and that's about a four-hour drive one way. So that's you know that's doable in a day. Um, when I when I would do West Texas or Lubbock, that's that's about a seven-hour drive, um, and and I would get a little Southwest air. Uh, airfare on Lubbock on Lubbock days so that was my treat to get to fly to Lubbock once every quarter um, but I think the I do think that the relationship building first of all is the key to the success of the state offices but but secondly and more importantly I truly believe when affiliate leaders plug in with one another they are much more successful and they're much more successful um, quicker and the state office has the unique ability to bring those relationships together. So um, that's what's 
that's what's helped us grow is especially even in advocacy you know they they might not uh, an affiliate might not use program x but their good friend at the neighboring affiliate does so they're going to make those phone calls um, advocacy phone calls and, and things like that this that connection um, strengthens the entire network and i don't think that there's anything that the state office does even you know we have all the learning opportunities we have the conference we have more good servicing disaster we have all those things that we do but but the strength of our network our entire network is relationships and how we're able to do you know, bring those people together and, and and heck that's part of our mission statement right is bringing people together we just do it in a different way than than affiliates on the community level that, that's all that's all I have to agree wholeheartedly with you. And that's even based on the feedback that I've received in the last seven years. I mean, every time we do a training event or anything like that, I mean, for example, we, we've got our conference coming up in September and I know you've got yours in a week. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but you know, we spend a lot of time planning it and thinking all these things through. And then uh, without a doubt, every time, the most common compliment that we get is I'm so glad y'all did this because it was great to be able to network and to meet uh -huh. with other affiliates. It's, it's not, Oh, the food was wonderful. And Oh, the classes were so engaging. It's always, I'm so glad I got to talk to my neighbors and see them and learn from them. That is so valuable. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, and, and the irony that I see is, is people come to conferences for the programs, right? Uh, keynote speaker or classes or, or whatever you're doing. Um, that's what they come for, but they leave happy because of the networking. And um, this year, you, you said you're going to ask about, about it later, but I'll just start. This year we're doing, because of Corona, and you know we weren't able to, to have an in-person conference last year, but um, this year we're doing like speed dating networking. And that it, it I, the that that back to that irony. I know that this will be the most impactful conference that we've ever had, and I know that our registration is down, and I I think it might be down um, because of COVID. No no doubt, there's still a lot of uh, issues around COVID, but but also because the programming is not there. So it uh, the programming is there, but. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. We, we're not having a lot of classes because we've had so many classes this this past year, but um, but I know that this will be the most impactful conference that we've had because of that networking. I wish we gave ourselves uh, as leaders more time to to just sit and be quiet. I, I do think that that's one of the things that that lacks um, certainly with our counterparts, Ryan. But but I see that on the affiliate level that time to be quiet and learn from one another and just um, absorb and we're so mission focused and busy that that we forget to give ourselves times and and that's where the that's where the nectar is right that's where the nectar of leadership is is, is that kind of work and it's and it's it's a luxury and we don't it, well it shouldn't be it should be fundamental but but we treat it as a luxury and it, it's not, it's the very root of where we need to be as people. It absolutely is. I mean, it, it absolutely is before you and I came on, of course, we were talking about, you know, just taking those times listening, you know, we were talking about mm -hmm. the podcast thing. I mean, it, it, there is something to be said for just <laughs> being still and 
listening a little bit, and that's I, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. That's the 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 nectar of leadership and the the key to I think success at the affiliate level. Have you noticed this before? Because what you said kind of made me think of this. Because we were talking about affiliates that have you know ended up closing down. I've kind of noticed this pattern that in the Habitat Network, the most successful affiliates are the ones who engage the most with their neighbors. Yeah. Have you, have you seen that too? Absolutely. That is absolutely, that is absolutely true. And and their neighbors, you know, uh, the Bible said, who's my neighbors? Their neighbors could be across, uh, they could be from Texas to Georgia or from uh, Tyler to El Paso, but, but that is absolutely the key to success. Um, and it's certainly the key to kind of peace of mind to not feel like you're alone in this. And and I, I think that that's the number one thing that 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 I saw when I first got to Habitat was the number of people who just felt alone in their leadership. And, and it, it was sad. It was really, really sad uh, that, to have that sort of stress and not have um any, it's a hard job. Affiliate leadership is a hard job. And to feel like there's no one you can talk to who understands, you know, no wonder the burnout rate uh, was so high. It, it's, it, it's just, too, it was too high. And I, I think that we've made a difference in that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what we found too. I'm glad you saw that consistency as well, because and what you said there about the burnout rate, I mean, I'm like you when I came on, you know, it was the, I guess we were at 18 months was uh -huh. the life cycle of an ED. And I'm glad that's extended a bit. And I, I really do think that if it has extended, it's extended from the networking. It's from the affiliates. Uh -huh. And whether it be, like you said, just a phone call to somebody to tell them, you know, hey, I got this question or I'm having this issue or I just want to vent a little bit. Or even if it's, you know, doing like you were talking about earlier, the uh, the quarterly meetings that you do for your regions, um, you know, just leaving the office once a quarter and going and talking and listening to somebody at another affiliate, I think it's just tremendously valuable. And we don't take enough time to do that sometimes. Yeah. At least I, at I, least I know that. I don't. So. I don't, but it sure is good for me when I do. I hear you. That, that's why I'm looking forward to, to going down to Florida this year and meeting with the other. Uh, and now, see, now I'm, I'm self-conscious. I don't want to say ASO or SSOs because of that. But that's I, okay. I can deal with it. <laughs> okay. You know the jargon. But, you know, meeting meeting with my colleagues uh, down in Florida with you guys, because I get so much from learning what you guys are doing in other states. You know, I, I, I never want to be siloed off where we're just doing our own little thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, heck, I love when you come because you do bring a, a very different perspective, and um, I'm always thankful when when you come to, to state meetings. And... Well, let's let's switch gears here back to your conference because you did mention briefly you guys were not able to do a live conference last year, and if I'm not mistaken, you guys were the first of y'all were the first state to do a virtual conference correct or was it North Carolina? Yeah, yeah so y'all were the first and, and you found yourself in kind of a <clears throat> what's the best way to put it a bit of a pickle there i mean you had done all of this work planning for this live conference uh, you know you've got the sponsors lined up the programs everything and then of course COVID hit and i mean just 
I think for most people would have pulled the wind out of their sails and they probably said, all right, well, forget this. We're just going to postpone it. But you, you didn't take that perspective. You did something totally different. And I'd love to hear about that, like your reaction to COVID and how you were able to, uh, to, to do a transformative event. Yeah, you know, it was, um, I wouldn't even say that COVID hit um, because it, the early days, so this was you know, March 2020, um, things were just kind of like, what's going on? Are we, are we closing down? What's happening? It was very, very confusing. So to me at the time, you know, looking back, it was absolutely risky to, to, to know what was going to happen. You know, is this, if I pull the conference, which is Habitat Texas, is, that's, that's our number one source of unrestricted funds. And we have probably, I would say, probably the top, uh, probably the top netting net uh, revenue of any conference. So it's it's a it's not a huge conference. It's not you know you're not going to picture Habitat International's global conference. It's a it's a small conference compared to that. But for our budget, it's a huge deal. So the loss of that would pretty much mean uh, significance, you know, probably half my staff, I've got five staff members right now. So that would be the loss of it, about half our staff. And March, 2020, things were, you know, some folks were closing down. Um, I know Austin, uh, Austin South by Southwest Festival, the mayor had just canceled that and was just being raked through the coals. Um, about being an alarmist and it's going to go away and all that good stuff. And one of my board members actually is the communications head of the Dell Medical Foundation at the University of Texas. And you know, we had some intensive board conversations about what what do we think was going to happen? Um, and how do, how do we predict the future? And with with board support, we decided to pull the plug on the live conference, which is normally held in August. And within three weeks, we built a built a brand new website, um, put all of our classes online. Uh, so we changed from the Lone Star Summit to the Lone Star Summer Series. And it was an eight week summer series, had almost one webinar every day for eight weeks. We had our keynote speakers, just like we would, you know, Natasha Reed Rice, who is always fantastic, that our opening keynote, I'm using air quotes, y'all can't see my air quotes, but our opening keynote, uh, live Zoom webinar, we had a closing keynote of a, a historian and political uh, biographer, presidential biographer for our closing, and almost every day for the entire summer, we had classes um, that, that normally would be compressed in two days at our at our summer series, and it was so fascinating. We had so we had about forty five classes, um, record enrollment. Um, so our conference usually has about two hundred people, and we had three hundred fifty people from Florida to Hawaii participate. Um, those three hundred fifty signed up for about two thousand two hundred classes. So they took the 45 classes, but they uh, had enrollments of, of 2,200 enrollments. And what we really learned from it was that there is a deep, deep hunger, especially for 
young and mid-level professionals to be able to enhance their skills, to learn more. And, and I'm certain that they have an eye for their future careers. And I believe that that's, a, that's an untapped market. And it's hard for affiliates to, to send their entire staff to training, but there's a deep hunger with those, those folks who, who really want to learn how to be better. And I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point for affiliate leaders to think about, you know, how can they reward up and coming mid-level staff with um, more education so that when our leadership ends in whatever way it ends, that there are people who are well-trained and well able to pick up the mantle. And that's, you know, sending mid-level uh, young professionals to your, to your conference in September, Ryan, or mine in August. Um, but, really to think through as leaders how we develop our our future because that that's that's what was so striking to come out of to me uh, to come out of the the summer series so it's i don't think i mentioned this to you but this is i love that that is what you said was the most striking thing because you and i have talked about obviously wanting to partner with you guys with what you've created out of this right with Lone Star University um it, you know it, it's funny because I, I told you this a couple months ago but the I think the big lamentation from our board over the last few years at Habitat Georgia has been that exactly what you just said in Habitat land there is no career path mm. right yeah. um you know there there isn't a lot for the mid-level folks I mean um you know unless you want to wait on your executive director to retire or maybe an ED job opens up a couple counties away or something like that. You're more or less kind of stuck for lack of a better term. And, um, you know, I, I had a former board chair who, who worked for the Boy Scouts and he worked for 23 years, uh, for the Boy Scouts in Florida. And he said in that 23 years, he never stayed in one job, even though it was with the same organization, he never stayed in one job for more than like three years. So, huh there was this kind of constant circulation because in the boy scout realm, that's a big thing for them, that professional development and moving people around and getting them to wear a lot of different hats and learn, uh, you know, different sides of the house and everything. So th that's why I was really excited to hear what you just said. And also when I saw Lone Star, you, I, I, I got, I got to have you unpack that, Amy. So you saw this need, Tell me now, what did you do about it? Uh, so the ongoing, do you, do you mean the ongoing uh, professional yeah. development? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you, you know, we're always trying to evaluate our programs. And after the end of the Lone Star Summer Series, um, so a, just about a year ago, um, we, we did surveys and that's, you know, that's definitely where we found out that this hunger from, from mid-level. Um, but there is also a, a deep hunger, desire for in-depth learning. And it's just not, you know, it's just not really possible to do in-depth learning at conferences, any conference. Um, so we, we shifted gears again um, to do this certificate program. We we're continuing our Lone Star Academy um, offering. So uh, to provide that technical support and um, that we 
that's part of the charge of a state office, right? To provide training and technical support. So we've broadened the number of offerings. Uh, we've got an extensive library on our website now. Um, I, I hired a teacher uh, on who was on COVID leave um, a year ago. I hired her uh, to be our community outreach officer. And she, because of her background in teaching, she's, she's just amazing, Sarah White in our office. She's just absolutely amazing, but she's able to design curriculum and help uh, with Zoom calls to turn them into some using adult learning theory. Uh, she's been able to redesign a lot of our curriculum. So it's not just sitting there watching a webinar for an hour because that's might be the most mind numbing thing you can do is just watch webinars over and over again. So she's made it where there's quizzes and um, bite-sized learning chunks so that you can do five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes at a time or you can sit down and get it all get it all hammered out or you can watch the live webinar whichever one uh, best fits your schedule and uh, your learning style and she's just been a great addition I'm so thankful to have her but then we've also added these certificate programs that are deep dives so we've done we're, we're in the fall we're, we'll have a certificate program that's um it's, it's still under development, but I think it'll be a 45-hour um, certificate of fundraising excellence that qualifies uh, qualifies attendees for the CFRE certification, the um, Certified Fundraising. I don't know what it stands for, Ryan. It's it's CFRE. So, but that's one of the premier designations for fundraising, and I look at that as an opportunity just to strengthen the entire network we've had. We partnered with um, the Center for Nonprofit Studies at Austin Community College to do a certificate of uh, volunteer management. We've had certificate of uh, home buyer financing. Um, let's see, certificate of retail management. That was really, really interesting with some uh, professors from the from Texas State University. Uh, so again, those deep dives for mid level. Well, heck, the CFRE, any of these, I think, would challenge executive directors or up-and-coming young professionals. But there's something literally for everybody in our in our courses because it, it's core to our mission. And any kind of strength that that anybody gets, and you know, everybody's welcome to, to sign up for these. I think I think it's just critical for our health and. The other thing, we, we do try to obviously have some habitat influence, <coughs> excuse me, but, but we also try to bring in outside professionals, recognizing that, you know, bringing the outside in is how you, how you get new ideas, and, and then we habitat those ideas. So, Amy, I, I just, I love everything that you just shared. I mean, just the idea of, of having these certificate programs, a way to do continuing education, and maybe even use them, like you said, to springboard into the CFRE, into higher mm -hmm. certifications. You know, I, the question I often ask myself, so, you know, my wife is a hairdresser. Okay, she mm -hmm. cuts and dyes people's hair for a living. She has to do every, I mean, she has to be certified by the state of Georgia to do that. She has to do hours of continuing education every year in order mm -hmm. to maintain that licensure. 
but here we are in habitat land where we are working with volunteers where we are running retail operations where we are originating mortgages and finding real estate but there isn't that well let me repeat that there wasn't any sort of continuing education there wasn't any sort of certification that was readily accessible to us until you launched this i mean i think what you did if i'm going to be very candid is is revolutionary and you know if if i was king of the world and got to make decisions you know i would i would have every habitat affiliate <laughs> almost required to go through these courses every year um you know as some sort of cte because I think what you're presenting here is just critical for us to grow, to grow as an organization, right? I mean, CTE is a critical part of any other field. Mm -hmm. why, why have we not been doing it in Habitat Land? And thankfully, yeah. now we are, thanks to. Well, yeah, and I've seen I've, I've seen you know one of our at least one of well maybe anyway at least one of our affiliate executive directors. You know, she's she's bought our entire library and she uses our classes for um, to, to do performance evaluations for her staff. Um, you know, how many how many courses have you taken? Uh, what have you taken them in? She's let her staff pick some of their own courses, but that she's also identified, you know, here's an area that I'd like you to strengthen. So I want you to take these courses. So they've used it as a way to. To, to really build their affiliate. And, and I love, because every time you complete a class, you get a certificate. And I love the fact that, that we're able to, um, you know, that, that executive directors can use this as a tool for their own staff. I think that that's such an interesting thing to do. And then we've also done even press releases um, for the one person took the most classes last summer and you know we were able to do a press release recognizing her dedication uh, to to bettering herself and to bettering her affiliate and it was you know it got to ran in the local newspaper so these are things that that i think funders look at in your evaluation plans and it's certainly something that affiliates can be proud enough of to get it in the lo local newspaper that you have such a commitment or, uh, or the affiliate has such a commitment to to providing not just opportunities for the families, but opportunities for their staff. Uh, it's just such an interesting way to to handle some of these uh, ways to to be a leader in your your organization and and recognize how badly people want to serve. And I, I think that that is one of the hallmarks of especially of Habitat affiliates. I, I've worked in a lot of different nonprofits. Um, as I, I used to do consulting after I left the architects firm, I did consulting and a lot of interim executive director work. So I've probably worked with well over a hundred nonprofits. And the future, the future-oriented um, nature of Habitat affiliate staff, homeowners, volunteers is so striking to me that. Um, and, and here's a case in point. When I was about six months into my tenure, I kind of looked around and thought, okay, I got this. This is, this isn't, uh, this is, this is pretty easy. And then a Habitat neighborhood got wiped out by a tornado. This was in May of 2013. So it was a Hood County Habitat up by Fort Worth. In that habitat, 
um, that neighborhood, there were about 120 homes. 71 of those homes were habitat homes. Um, of the 71, 68 were damaged. Of the 68 uh, that were damaged, 20 were just unrepairable and three were wiped off. There were seven fatalities in that neighborhood, none of whom were habitat homeowners. And I was there the next day to, to help with the response. And the habitat homeowners already had their hammers out. They were already cleaning up their neighborhood and they were shell-shocked and traumatized. And, you know, 20 of them had lost everything. And I was in the, you know, the Red Cross Recovery Center and tears and trauma. And they all said, well, we've built our house before and we can do it again. And it was so inspirational to see those homeowners that that there was there was not going to be anything that could keep them down, even as they worked through the trauma. And there was trauma for for the next year at least. I worked with that executive director who talked about you know the tornado sirens would go off and the PTSD that that the neighbors had because because they lost seven of their neighbors, but. But the other half of that neighborhood that, that wasn't Habitat, you know, they really, you could see a turning inward and a shutting down. And, and it was sad and tragic to see that. But I also saw the can-do attitude of, of Habitat at all levels. Um, that was an all-volunteer affiliate, and they rebuilt all of those homes. And I'll tell you that as leaders, we have to feed that, right? We have to feed that desire for improvement and progressive forward uh, thinking and you know, no, no defense in Habitat. It's all, let's get out there and go. And I, I think this is just a, a way that we can encourage that you know, mentally as well. Amy, that is a, that's a remarkable story to me. I, I absolutely love that story. And you said that was an all volunteer Habitat? Yeah. Wow. My gosh, that was absolutely, um, yeah, Carol Davidson is, she's still the executive director, and about six months before, that was my first uh, executive director's retreat that I had, because, you know, two months on the job, and I'd offered a class, uh, we, we've changed how we do our leadership uh, retreats, but at that time, we were having classes at the leadership retreat, and she tells the story that um, the next class was going to be how to prepare for disaster. And she said, she said, and I looked at that and I thought, well, that sounds boring. I'm going to go for a walk around the lake, which she did because she thought, well, the only thing we have is hail. I can handle some new roofs. And so she skipped the disaster preparedness class. And, um, and that not, that is not the worst thing that could happen. So but that's an absolutely outstanding affiliate. And their, their closest neighbor is actually Trinity Habitat, which is, Fort Worth, one of the most successful, uh, just an outstanding affiliate, one of the most successful in the nation, not just Texas, but um, their executive director, I've heard him say about his neighbor, um, Hood County Habitat, I've heard him say that, that they can outbuild anybody, that they're, they're smaller, but, but their abilities are rival his and he said you know we we have scale 
but they have leadership. And that, that just also shows me, tells me um, that it doesn't matter how big you are. It matters about leadership and those softer skills of leadership is critical. So Fort Worth has all the resources you can ever have. And, and their executive director says that a, a small rural Amy, we just had a slight technical glitch there. Can you pick up back on that story for us? Yeah, sure, Ryan. Um, really, I was the same. The, the, the largest affiliate, one of the best affiliates in the world, in my opinion, recognizes the leadership potential in, in a rural affiliate in Texas. And I think that that's remarkable because uh, sometimes we have to look harder in rural communities. I'm from a small town. Uh, sometimes we have to go outside our comfort zone and, and, and outside the obvious, but leadership exists in every size and every community and every neighborhood. And how we look for that, those leaders are critical to the success of, of our affiliates and our organizations. And I think too, you can even get into some of the, the, how we diversify our organizations to make sure that we really are representing our communities um, in terms of all faiths, all um, all sexes and ethnicities and all of the things that, that make us unique and having those different perspectives and looking outside our own networks is, is critical. And in small communities, because I'm from small communities and they rival leadership of any large community because here's, here's how you know, Ryan, and I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, but in small communities, there's no way there's nowhere to hide. You know, you, you're out there. Every neighbor knows what everybody else is doing. Um, and, and, and so leadership, though, I, it, it's still present. And leaders in the church and leaders in uh, different communities within the larger community, you can find them. And that's what makes affiliates successful. That's awesome. Um, I, I love the encouraging word there about the fact because I think when, when we do speak to a lot of smaller affiliates sometimes there is a sense of almost I hate to use this term but like hopelessness right yeah. that we're we're a small community there's only so many people everybody does know what everybody's doing and it's kind of one of those things that they see that as a barrier but what I hear you saying there is that that's that's really not a barrier maybe in a lot of respects that's a gift there's still opportunities out there for smaller affiliates mm-hmm. to be successful well, you know what? I, I I always believe that our greatest strength is usually our also our greatest weakness, and our greatest opportunity is our greatest challenge. And the same can be true for affiliates and the leadership that they find on the board. And um, you know, just a just a few miles from where I'm sitting right now, in the tiniest of towns, is a little town called Johnson City that that produced um, a. a a great president and named for my alma mater. So, uh, you know, certainly leadership uh, is, is there and, and no one will convince me that, that, that that's not true. I've, I've seen the power of, of leaders from small towns, but it does, it does often mean that you have to go outside of people on job sites or, you know, just the other day I was doing a strategic plan for a, an affiliate and, and it really just hadn't occurred to some of the people on the board to look for what they need, the, the roles that they need, and not somebody who, who 
is on the job site and it's okay to, to think, oh, I need, uh, I need an accountant. So, you know, to call the accountants in the community and not wait for an accountant to show up on a build site on a Saturday morning. It, it's completely fine um, to let people volunteer in their strengths. And if, if construction on Saturday morning is not their strength and accounting is, um, that doesn't mean that they won't love your mission just because they didn't start in construction. Uh, that is a, such an excellent example. I've encountered that as well. And uh, it's been kind of funny to see the eureka moment on people's faces when they realize, right, yeah. that, that you don't even necessarily have to know the person, right? I mean, you, yeah. maybe you know somebody who might know them kind of thing. You, and, and it's interesting because when you go to people and you tell them about the Habitat mission and the value of what we do, you know, even if they've never been on a job site, they're still going to be at mm-hmm. least a little bit intrigued. So um you know, I, I can't help but think of what we were talking about a little earlier today when you were saying this about the importance of leadership and, you know, the community size not really mattering. What do you think about the idea of of mindset and how that really is a matter of mindset? And the example you just gave of, you know, recruiting somebody kind of outside of your comfort zone uh, that you hadn't even mm-hmm. thought about, that that really requires a change in mindset. You had some great things to say about mindset earlier. I'd love for you just to share a little bit about that as well. Uh, actually, Ryan, um, there was, there's a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. And the first time I came across that was at LBJ school. Um, I went to LBJ school late. So t- graduated in 2017. And I had, I wished I had read that book, um, even professionally, clearly, but also personally, it would have changed how I, I parent my own kids. Um, I didn't know they're okay. They're, they're good people, but, but it would have changed how I, I parented them because it really is about looking around and seeing opportunity. And here's another way, if you haven't read the book, um, if, if our listeners haven't read the book, the other way that you can think of this is uh, that, that we talk about some in Habitat, Texas, but probably not enough is do you worship a God of scarcity or God of abundance? Mm. And if the question is always, here's, here's a set pie, and maybe this is a good way to, to describe mindset and the growth mindset. If you have a set pie, then you have to fight over the pieces um, available. You know, you got, you got five hungry brothers and sisters and there's one set pie and you're, you're fighting over those resources. But growth mindset says, you've got five brothers and sisters, let's grow the pie and we can all have enough. And that's, that's the same thing as, do we have a God of scarcity or, or a, a, a God of abundance? And if you believe that there is a God of abundance, and if you believe that opportunities come um, and, and ask and ye shall receive, um, seek and ye shall find, if, if that's the God you worship, then the resources become available to you. And I, I don't mean that that's easy. You know, the, the Bible never says it's easy. God never says it's easy. Jesus never said it's easy. Growth mindset doesn't say it's easy. It says it's possible if you believe that the, the pie, the world that we operate in, isn't a fixed world. It is something that can grow if we if we put the effort into it. And it's it's beyond anything it's about our own individual effort that you get knocked down and you get back up and um you know Ryan we were, we were talking earlier about 
that we have, frankly, an impossible mission to eliminate poverty housing in the world. How in the world can we possibly do that except for every day you, you make a dent and you get up and you work hard and you try hard and then you go to sleep and then you wake up and do it again. And, and that, that's the same for all of our board, right? I and mean, that's how we recruit and how we, how we as executive directors operate. Um, but all of that's tied to, to me, the, the root of a growth mindset is you know, how do you view the world? Is it one of a scarcity or one of abundance? And, and, and here's the thing, the world doesn't change whether you view it as fixed or where you can grow that pie. The world is the same, but how you act in that world is what changes. It's, it, it's like, you know, prayer, they always say prayer doesn't change the person you're praying for, it changes you. And that's that's what uh, that's what the growth mindset is. That's what um, we go for. Is that the world's? It doesn't get easier, but it does change our own responsibility and our own future about it. Does that does that make sense? Amy, I actually had to I had to actually mute my microphone there for a minute because you couldn't see it, but I was holding my hand up, screaming "preach," because it makes perfect sense to me. I just think. That is so well said, uh, you know, this idea of mindset, and I, I love the example you said there about the, the praying, it, it's not that you're changing the person, it's really, you're changing yourself, right, your mm -hmm. worldview, and this this matter of worldview and perspective ends up guiding everything that you do and the way you work, and I want to, and I hope you'll forgive me, Amy, just for the folks who are listening, I actually provided Amy with a list of questions before we got started. And I haven't asked her any of those. <laughs> and, and so we're, we're kind of just spitballing here um, and because I know she probably has some notes or something. And, and I'm sorry, Amy, for that, but I have to ask, I, I've got to follow up on this. Um, what was the term you said? A, a God of scarcity or a God of abundance? Yes. There's this terminology that I've started using recently. I forget who I heard say it. But they talked about in the nonprofit world, it's so easy to have a, they, they call it a poverty mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think of the, when you said that about the, the God of scarcity, it, it absolutely kind of corresponded to the poverty mindset to me, just that idea of I've got what I got and that's it, yeah. right? And I'm never going to get any more, never going to go any further with it. So don't even entertain the idea. Do you, do you see that a lot as well? That kind of that poverty mindset, like there's no point in trying to do more, be more because it's not really possible in the first place. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I, I will tell you, I don't see it as much. You know, I mentioned that I had in, in a previous life had done a lot of interim executive director work and consulting work. And where I really see that mindset is it's especially around a lot of the poverty issues. Now, now you can consider Habitat as certainly working on poverty issues around um, the, the lack of affordable housing. Um, but just like the disaster in Granbury, you know, the, the inclination is to pick up a hammer and solve the problem and physically build your way out of it. That um, the, the, the poverty mindset you're talking about, as, I did a lot of work with a domestic violence shelter, um, some 
a teen pregnancy prevention uh, group, a uh, drug and alcohol group, and, and the poverty mindset there that it's us against the world is almost, um, it almost chokes you. It, it, it almost, it feels depressive and it feels just bad. And I understand kind of that victim mentality. And I don't see that in general in Habitat, especially with the volunteers and the homeowners. But I do see sometimes with um, executive directors and, and I, that gets all the way back to our conversation from earlier, Ryan, that, that where I see that the most is on leaders who have felt alone and haven't engaged. They haven't engaged with you or me or their, their counterparts that lonely feeling of hunkered down and um, besieged almost is, is where that poverty mindset comes from. And I'll also say in my state office and in your state office, that is a choice mm-hmm. because um, Habitat has the brand name, but, but our, our counterparts, our brothers and sisters at the state level, they will kill themselves, bend over backwards to, to help any affiliate leader who, who puts a hand out toward them. And I know for a fact that that's, that that's true. So uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. And it's not as common in Habitat, but it is there. Uh, and I would just encourage people to reach out. You know, you, you're not alone. People aren't alone. And I know even with our counterparts, Ryan, you know, there's, we've got some, we've all leaned on one another as well. There's a strong network um, at the state office level to support one another. And I know that, that that's indicative of what, what they do for their affiliates and the care and concern that they show for their affiliates. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say that my experience really mimics yours as well. I I see this God of scarcity slash poverty mindset really more when folks are not engaging with others and they tend to have an almost, um, you know, you, you kind of might be talking to them and I've seen it from executive directors. I've seen it from board members as well. And they kind of have a perspective that, oh, I have to do everything, right? Right. You know, it all falls on my shoulders. I'm the one doing it all. And, you know, we'll try to coach them and suggest, well, have you, you know, considered asking other board members to help you or other staff? And it's like, well, uh, they they couldn't do it or they wouldn't want to, or it'd be too difficult. And and to me, that that's absolutely, you know, when you have the the God of abundance mindset, when you have that abundance attitude and, and that that mindset you were talking about to grow to grow the pie. You know, I think when you have a leader who's in a difficult circumstance, instead of saying, well, I'm the one that has to do it. They say, well, it's time to find somebody to help me do this. Right. Mm-hmm. It's time to, time to grow, grow the network a little bit. Right. Don't understand. We just can't do it all. That just sucks though. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, here's, here's a, so Brian, you know, that, probably few people would describe me as shy. <laughs> so, and I'll tell you, I despise asking people for help. I absolutely hate it so much so that if you said, hey, Amy, order a pizza right now, I, I'd like, I have to call somebody and ask them to make me a pizza. I mean, I want to pay for it when it gets to my door, but I hate ordering pizza. That's how much I hate it. And I also know that, <laughs> that that's, you know, that's my issue. 
and that's not that's not to be put on other people that they're they're volunteering they want to help they have a calling too and by not um engaging with other people and new people in different parts of the community uh, you know it, in a way denies other people their own calling and it it's so interesting to me um that that people it I, I think with leadership i think it is about well i don't want to bother anybody but but there's also a sense of vulnerability as leaders good leaders those level five leaders, if you if you understand what that term means, um, those level five leaders understand that true leadership is about vulnerability to say, I can't do this all and I can't do this without you. And that that gets back to our mission statement, you know, bringing people together that that's not just bringing homeowners into a house or volunteers into a house. It's about it's about building a network of service for one another, for our community. Um, and I, that's that's always, if it always gets back to that mission. We have a great mission statement too. So um, I always tell you know people that there's a trick question, you know, what is the action verb of our mission statement? And I'm, I'm gonna tell you um, nine out of 10 people, when I ask what are, what the action verb is in that mission statement, nine out of 10 people get it wrong. And, uh, just in case you don't remember, it's, um, seeking to put God's love into action. Habitat for humanity brings people together to build homes, communities, and hope. The action verb being brings, brings people together. We do that around building a home but our purpose is bringing people together. And that's for our leaders, uh, especially executive directors and board chairs, um, and anybody in the leadership role in Habitat. The, the goal is to bring people on the journey with you. It's not to build houses. We, we build houses and that's, that's important, but our mission is to bring people together. Amy, I just love that. Um, I just, I think that's remarkable, the, the idea of what you just shared. It's about bringing, and it's, it, it's, it's so much bigger than, than, like you said, a simple task, right? Than a simple activity. And it, what you were saying, as you were speaking, a, a, a quote came to me that I saw the other day, I think on LinkedIn or something. And it was like, the goal of leadership is really to bring out the best in people. And I'm, I might be butchering that terribly, mm. but, but that, you know, what, what you want to do when you're leading is not to just check off a bunch of boxes. I built X number of houses. I help X number of families. I raised X number of dollars, but did I enrich the lives of the people that I'm leading? Mm. You know, my yeah. employees, uh, my board members, uh, the volunteers, and, you know, are they at the end of the day, after interfacing with me and participating in the Habitat mission, are they going home and are their lives enriched? Are their lives better for that? And that's kind of what I felt was the kernel of what you were saying there. Yeah, that that's a lovely thing to to think. And and here's here's the other shocking shocking truth about that is that that that's not hard. You, yeah. I mean, really and truly, a kind word to a little beleaguered checkout girl is is in a way to enrich somebody's life. And building a home certainly is, but um, but but 
there's never any, you, you could just do it so easily to bring that enrichment. And what, with it, um, there's, there's a motto at LBJ School that says leaders are readers. And I know I could tell that uh, you're a reader too, but uh, was it Anne Frank who said one, one needn't ever, I'm gonna butcher poor Anne Frank. Um, one needn't ever wait to, I don't know. One, one, one doesn't have to wait to make somebody's life better. So maybe somebody can look up that quote. Uh, and I think look. it was Anne Frank. Keep, keep uh, talking. I'm going to look that up. I'm, I'm interested to know. I'd, I'd hate for you to go on record of having destroyed an Anne Frank quote. I know. Okay, I, I got it. Uh, <laughs> it was Anne Frank, so that's nice. Um, I got that right. How how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. Mm, wow. wow. I don't know how much wisdom got in that, that uh, young woman, but wow, yeah. And so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. We don't have to wait a single, single second. That's pretty cool. You can have success anytime you walk out the door. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Amy, that's so powerful. I mean, just to, because I, I think in what we do sometimes, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I'm, I'm sure some of your, uh, the, the folks you serve in Texas have, you know, our, our jobs can sometimes be so overwhelming and the task yeah. side of it is just so, oh gosh, it's, it's almost Herculean, right? You're just, mm-hmm. I've got to deal with so many different things. And if your mindset, backing it up a little bit, if your mindset is on accomplishing task A, B, C, and D today, you can easily get defeated, distracted, disheartened from that. But if your mindset as a leader is, hey, I'm going to make the lives of the people that I'm interacting with today better. And I can do it not through just accomplishing big things, but just through, like you said, little small things, you mm-hmm. know, making positive comments, encouraging them, uh, giving them new responsibilities and new opportunities to grow as individuals. I, I think that's a really powerful thought that it doesn't always have to be just, you know, the idea of building a house. It's so much more than that. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's absolutely true. And um, I, one of the other things yesterday I was, uh, for a couple of different reasons, was thinking about the, you know, the Great Commission. That's, that is the other half of it, though, is yes, you, you don't have to wait a second to change the world. And it doesn't have to be around uh, building a house or a whole house there's different ways but then take that out into the world you know go ye therefore into all the nations and that doesn't mean you have to go across the world that could mean you go to the other side of town and and that again is the roots of habitat for humanity especially with clarence jervin in the early early days when um the civil rights movement was heating up and his, his farmhouse was getting shot after clan meetings on Friday afternoons and they were beaten and they were bloodied and they were jailed and just the simple act of going out into the world. So I, I, do, I do think that that's uh, part of our leadership is to not wait for things to happen. That, that, that mindset as well, don't wait for things to happen and always have a bias towards action. You're not sure, take action. And not not recklessly, I don't mean that, but um, 
but the default is towards action rather than waiting to see what happens, waiting for something, somebody to come in that'll save your organization or waiting uh, for the perfect board member or the right employee. And the, the bias should be towards action and that you um, as a leader make most of your own dreams come true. I mean, that is powerful stuff. Um, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'm looking at our time here and I, I want to be respectful of it. Um, again, I haven't really covered any of the questions that I told you <laughs> to cover, I, I, but I want to kind of wrap things so that, you know, I know you have other tasks to to handle because of course you've got a, a conference coming up, what you said next week or is it the weekend? Yeah, uh, August 9th. So, so 10 days, I guess. Fantastic. Well, I, I know that, you know, that's crunch time, a lot of stuff going on, but I, let, let me ask you this final question here because to me i think this is on that list of questions i gave you this is one of my favorite questions to ask people um you know i'm a, I'm a firm believer in self-care and taking care of you know ourselves as leaders so that we can function at our highest level what are the things that you as amy parham do like what, what are the things that help to keep you focused to keep you in the correct mindset and you know marching towards that goal that impossible vision that we have you know, what is it that keeps you capable of waking up every morning and doing the impossible? Uh, so of all the questions on your list that we haven't covered, that would be the one that I probably wouldn't want to cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so thanks for zeroing that in on that. Uh, you know, I, I, I think it really is about community. And um, I got to talk to one of our counterparts, you today, and I got to talk to one of our two of our counterparts actually yesterday. And um, the one yesterday was so interesting because because we went into the phone call. We were talking about some strategic planning um, sessions, and and she said, you know, I'm just feeling really discouraged today. And I started to, you know, kind of try to lift her up and. At the end of that, I just to listen to somebody who was who understood and that we had the same issues and the same concerns and the same hopes and joys and the same neuroses of listening to the the negative more than the positive, you know, all the things that we do. I just felt so much better, like, oh yeah, this is this is where I'm supposed to be. And it it it's the same advice that we would give to to our own affiliate leaders is, is reach out and plug in and you're surrounded in this ministry in particular, you're surrounded by people who want you to do the very best you can do. They want you to be the very best you can be. And sometimes we, we need to remember that. So I think that same thing of um, this conversation with you, Ryan, has uplifted my heart and my spirit and I also have, I do have great kids and I'm a beekeeper. So um, we harvested bees, uh, honey uh, last week. So I'm, I've got some, I'm still recovering from some, from stings. I'm not, I'm slightly allergic. I'm a slightly allergic uh, beekeeper. I uh, have a great dog and a little plot of land that I like to garden on. But, but more than, more importantly, it's just being part of a family. That's awesome, Amy. And um, I, I wouldn't be mad if you brought some of your honey with you down to Florida, <laughs> just so you know. I um, We actually have one of our affiliate leaders here in Georgia. Her, her husband is a beekeeper. 
she sent me some honey the other week and there's nothing quite like the fresh stuff that you guys produce um and it's good i will if you bring hers i'll bring some of mine and we'll have a taste back. i love <laughs> honey taste back. I'd be willing to do that. I'd be willing to do that. And on the other side, I want to tell you this, this conversation has been so uplifting for me as well. Um, I think sometimes about there's somebody, gosh, maybe it was a sermon I was listening to one time and uh, just the message is about finding people who quote, fill your tank, like, mm-hmm. you know, like your encouragement tank, you know, that they're putting something in there instead of just taking something out. Well, you, you've definitely helped to, to fill my encouragement tank today. Um, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed this time talking with you and I hope you know that I appreciate everything that you're doing out there in Texas and really uh, overall for the ministry. So just please know you have my gratitude. Oh, well, thank you. Now I'm going to get teary. <laughs> no, well, please don't do that. Well, I'll tell you what, to keep you from getting teary, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to business and just say to anybody listening, we are also really excited to be partnering with you on Lone Star University. Um, I'm hoping that our Georgia affiliates will really take advantage of that because, again, I think you guys are doing something so critical, and I am very excited that you're allowing us to to come along for the ride with you. Oh, my gosh. We're so excited to have you, and just all your folks, you know, if if there is a need that, that you see, Ryan, uh, that we can... If, if, if there's a need in Georgia, then I'm, I know that there's the same need in, in Texas and across our network, so anything that we can do to be responsive and work together um, for the good of, of all of our the affiliates that we have the honor to serve. It's, I know that you feel as I do, it's just an honor to be in this position. So if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. We'll be more than happy to, to, to do what we can. It's, we just think the world of, of yeah. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, I hope that uh, the rest of your afternoon goes well. And, uh, you know, obviously good luck with the conference. Uh, here in a week and a half. Thank you again for having me and um, look forward to seeing you. Take care, Amy.